everybody welcome to the 156th edition of the holy backboard podcast i am dustin here in rip city and i got my man sage chilling here i don't even know how to explain what we witnessed last night that shit was that shit was historic man that was one for the record books that was one for blazers lore casey put out a tweet that basically said i can't remember the last time consecutive games in the same venue have been that wild if you go back to dame's 50 point performance the shot the four overtime historic you know marathon of endurance tonight in game three um this postseason has had it all if you are a blazer maniac and uh portland literally gutted out a 140 to 137 quadruple overtime thriller in the rose city last night sage i was there i felt like i ran a marathon after that game like i i was like i don't have to go running tomorrow like my my abs feel good from all the yelling you know i had to stretch before i did this podcast because my body was sore like i can't even imagine how the players are feeling because i felt like i was in you know a 12 13 round just back and forth battle and it was loud Rip City brought it, and I mean, wh- where do we want to start? I, I I personally want to start with Rodney Hood because uh, this has been the Rodney Hood series. This is the player that I envisioned us getting when he was with the Utah Jazz. I mean, Hood came in. He took advantage of his matchup. They have nobody on the block aside from Paul Millsap, but they're not going to put Paul Millsap on Rodney Hood. He just powers him in, backs him down, and turns and elevates. And he's a lefty. So I know there are quite a few lefties in the game, but the majority of players are still righties. And so when you have a lefty, it still throws off a defender just a little bit because they're not used to them going over the other shoulder, you know, attacking them with their left. And he was able to hit big shot after big shot. And I don't know the reasoning behind it, but... I was really hoping he would have gotten into the game earlier because, you know, we kept both teams kept sending out the same five guys in those those multiple overtimes. But thankfully, coach put Rodney in with about two minutes to go and the dude delivered seven points in like a minute forty nine. As soon as he let that three go, I was like, "This, this is going in like he just looked locked in. The form was nice, and I was so happy for him because he caught a lot of flack for his performance with the Cleveland Cavaliers last year. And, you know, he waived his no-trade clause um, to basically come to Portland and come off the bench, and he was ready. He even said in the post game on the podium, I told Trent, I told Simons, they put me in here, I'm going to end this thing. Sure enough, he went out there and backed up his word. It was one of the biggest clutch performances from a role player in in blazer history. I mean, this is going to go down. I mean, this is an all time classic and made even more special that the blazers found a way to come out on top and take a, what feels like a commanding two to one series lead. It honestly felt like two games. I mean, 
it was one and a half at least. Mm-hmm. We played an extra 20 minutes. So, yeah, Rodney was incredibly important in that game. But, man, like, <clears throat> the defense that we played in those overtimes, like, it was legitimately perfect defense. Everyone knew their responsibilities and executed them. That was super impressive because the, the Nuggets feed off mistakes. And we didn't give them many to work with. That's why it became a quadruple overtime game. It was both teams executed. I got to say shout out to Mo Harkless because there was a good chance he wouldn't have played with that ankle injury. And he put in major minutes. That <clears throat> our entire team deserves credit. But man. That was a, that was a team win. Before we talk about Mo, I still want to give Rodney the the credit because you look at what he did in the five games against Oklahoma City. He was averaging 20 minutes a night, three points per game, shooting 24% from the field, one and a half boards, one assist, like 26% from three, like invincible. He did not score in double digits at all in any of the five games against Denver or against Oklahoma City. Fast forward to this series, and I still remember after the game one loss when we were podcasting, we really thought we blew a Rodney Hood ceiling game. Little did we know he had more in store. He had 19 points in 24 minutes on eight shots, hit two of three attempts from downtown, and he's he's averaging 17 points on 57% shooting, 58 from downtown. He's getting to the line five times. I mean, this this is our secret weapon. We have he is a matchup nightmare for the Denver Nuggets and Portland will be able to advance if he continues to perform this way. And basketball is a game of rhythm. It's a game of momentum and it's a game of confidence. He has all three right now. And you factor in Rodney with what we're getting from Mo Harkless. And so you mentioned Mo and I thought there were two major major turning points that allowed us to win that game the first one was in the fourth quarter when we got down by five in the fourth quarter we got down by five mo came down hit a three next possession he got an and one he missed the free throw but it tied the game up i mean that was one of the the biggest sequences and i know a lot of people give mo a little bit of you know flack But let's not forget in game five, he hit four straight big clutch free throws that kept us in that one. So Mo is quietly becoming a bit of a a dependable clutch time player on a bum ankle, getting 15 and 10, two blocks of steel, three dimes in 45 minutes. I mean, they're just you're run out of, you know, superlatives to describe this team because one night it's Dame, one night it's CJ, then it's Ennis, then it's Rodney, then it's Mo. You know, they're doing all of this without Yusuf Nurkic. And it just, it speaks to the culture that this team has of trust, reliability, and just really a, a never say die attitude. In the second or third overtime, I was uh, texting with Stu and I, and I, and I told him like, Whoever wins this is probably winning the series because this this loss is going to be so hard to come back from. That this is so much momentum on Portland's side after that. Like, it, yeah, the, 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 this game was huge. Four overtimes, like that. God damn! It certainly feels like that, but I would say remove the emotion, remove fair or not, remove the the fatigue. At the end of the day, it is still one victory. 
Yes, I know it can feel like more, but if you're Portland, you can't get emotionally drunk. You had to win that game. Portland has to protect home court. Conversely, Denver just has to get one in Portland on this trip to tie it up and go back to Denver for game five. So Denver is still in a decent position if they're able to steal game four. Portland, to me, that game meant more to them, and they were able to find a way. I mean, sometimes in basketball, it's not pretty. It's not X's and O's. It's not how you draw it up. I mean, God knows that last play to Rodney Hood, that's not how they drew that up. You just get a little bit of luck, and you just have a little bit of grit and determination, and you mix it together, and sometimes it comes out with a Blazer victory, and that's what happened. So for me, when we discuss game four, Portland is really going to have to go all out and attack Denver from the jump because Portland, for all of the good they did by winning this game, they can throw it all away by not coming out and performing in game four. And we will discuss that there, but I I tend to share your same sentiment that that game did feel like more than one, but Portland still has work they have to put in. And I I believe that they realize that as well. We got to manage the consistent buckets from CJ McCollum that game. Dude was, dude had his hall of fame, dead eye shot going on that game dog he was insane i mean what what dion say prime time you look good you feel good you play good they pay good well he showed up in the vintage starter jacket so you knew he was about to put something on denver stat line doesn't read super kind 41 on 39 shots but he had to take them though yeah four of 11 from downtown got to the so what i love about this performance I don't love that it took him 39 shots to get 41 points, but they were big buckets. He got to the line six times, which is good for him. Very good for CJ McCollum. Eight fucking rebounds yeah, for yeah, six, yeah. four shooting guard, four assists, a block, and four steals. He was everywhere he on the He baited those passes. That he- steal, I fucking don't even know what overtime it was, but it probably the second overtime. Um, to to get us the ball. And that was the second turning point. So Mo had the possessions, the back-to-back three and and one in the fourth. I believe it was the second OT where we found ourselves down four with 30 seconds. Dame gets the layup. We have about a three-second shot clock, uh, game clock differential. Portland plays it out. CJ just hounds Gary Harris or Jamal Murray is one of the two guards, and he got it to go off their hand. Like, oh, he yeah, was just Jamal. pounding them. And Dame went down, scored it. We're going to a third overtime. So CJ did a little bit of everything. And it's it's pretty impressive that I think we all can say Damian Lillard was the MVP of the first round uh, of the playoffs. CJ's starting to to pick that up a bit for, for Portland. You know, game one, 16 points. Game two, 20. I mean, game he was the leading scorer in game two. So that 20 holds a little bit of weight. But then he goes out and gets 41, you know, for the entire postseason. He's averaging 25 points, 41 from downtown and six boards, four assists. Yes, that's where that's where it gets impressive, because we've always talked about him being scoring dependent. And now in in this playoff series, he's absolutely not scoring dependent. He's getting boards, getting assists. It's it's he's he's playing how we've wanted him to play, how we've needed him to play. Because scoring dependent guards, if you're not scoring, it becomes pretty damn hard for you to be on the floor. He 
he's getting them boards, he's getting them assists. And dude, the way he's playing defense with the baiting of bad passes, I remember the the the, the steal off the hands was huge. But I definitely remember him just reading the passing lanes. Joker got doubled and threw a, a scary, and he just intercepted it and took it down. Like those, his defensive plays were humongous last he night. He also stole the final pass of the game too. CJ has been on his shit defensively, especially with the baiting that we are doing on on passes. Like he's really doing the scheme a, a, a real fucking solid. I mean, this is the type of performance that turns CJ from a borderline all-star to a bonafide all-star. We know you can get buckets, but can you clamp down on defense? Mm -hmm. Can you get in the passing lanes? Can you rebound for your position? Can you get to the free throw line? You have to add more to your game, and he is doing that. So mm -hmm. to me, it that, that was a, a huge positive win, a huge positive sign mm -hmm. if, if we look at that. I mean, to me, this is the second consecutive game that – Dame didn't really have it. Yes, he had 28, but he was only 10 of 24, um, two of nine for, from three. He could not get it dialed in from three, only found himself getting to the line six times. He did have eight assists to only two turnovers and six boards to go along with two steals. But it, again, outside of game one, Denver has found a way to either limit Dame. I mean, they are sending the, the cavalry mm. to try and stop him from getting into the paint. And he's also missing some open looks. So... If you're Portland, you don't like that Dame has had back-to-back. -back. I mean, these are average performances from him. But on the other end, if you're Denver, you got to be kind of shit in your pants that Portland's able to win with Damian Lillard playing mm. like this. That that has got to be absolutely terrifying because Damian Lillard is a top five, top seven player in this game. And sooner or later, he is going to explode for a 40 or 50 piece. Yeah, exactly. It's only a matter of time that he has a transcendent Damian Lillard game. And so. I think it really starts if he's able to get going from three, because like I said, they are packing the paint similar to what Portland did against Paul George. But I saw on, on Twitter after I think it was game one that when Portland initiates Nikola Jokic into a rescreen, so they screen him and they drop back and they screen again, Jokic is so flat-footed that he's not able to come all the way, make up that ground, and Damian had a few wide-open yeah. looks. I would like to see Terry kind of initiate that a little bit more because Dame's a marksman. He's going to start hitting those shots, and if he hits from three, that's going to open up the floor for everyone else. And, and then it opens up those driving lanes so Damon CJ yes. can get those free throws. Um, Yeah, holy shit, man. Like, if you didn't watch that game live, you missed out on an experience, dog. Like, uh, I got I got new neighbors below me, and they just moved in as soon as the playoffs started. These people have... These people absolutely fucking hate me. Like, it... it, it, it I... I, I apologize to the people below me, but like this shit, like last night was, was special. And I mean, it got to the point where I had no, I had no concept of time. I knew the game started at seven thirty, and my mind was like, "Is it one thirty outside?" And, and the after, I was like, "Is this an afternoon game?" Like it just kept going and going and going, and it just. The fans, everyone just kept chanting and chanting for defense and, you know, let's go Blazers. It was it was an atmosphere and 
this this town is a blazer town like that's I had furniture delivered on Thursday. The delivery guys were talking to me about the Blazers. You know, you've got my favorite bagel spot, one of my favorite bagel spots in town, Bernstein's Bagels. After the game, they introduced a new schmear, the Stradruple Double, or the Stradruple Overtime for the four OT game. Like, they've got pinwheels out of bagels. I mean, this town is full-on Blazer mania, and we're only in the second round. Portland can do major... I think mental damage to the Denver Nugget psyche if they are able to do what the Spurs couldn't. Now remember, the Spurs took one of two from the Nuggets, mm. but they were not able to win Game Four. They were up two one. They were in the same position, and Denver came out. Now I know it is a little different because of the. I would say obviously the teams are different, but the scheduling is different. That was only the game four of the playoffs. Denver has, they went seven. This will now be their 11th playoff game. They have not had consecutive days off in, you know, a couple of weeks. Those and guys four, have played big minutes too. Big minutes. And um, what I want to talk about big minutes is, you know, Nick, Nikola Jokic had a, you look at the stat line, it, it, it's, it's fabulous. You know, 13 of 25, including four of seven from downtown, 33, 18, and 14. However, he plays 65 minutes, and I started to think before we podcasted, I don't remember him having much of an impact late in that game. Nah, dog. He so sold I a lot. The, I looked at the play-by-play. He didn't score his 30th point until about six and a half minutes left in the fourth quarter. That means he went 26 minutes and only got one field goal and one free throw. Mm-hmm. So to me, the minutes are having a major impact on Jokic. And hopefully Portland can push the tempo and get him engaged in screen roll action, attack him at the glass, and and really just, just box him out and, and just make him work for everything that he gets. What I would like to see the Blazers do is they they need to get out on him and guard the three. I think, you know, Cantor is a fucking warrior, but whoever is on him, just don't give him space from three because he's hitting it this series. Mm. He is now seven for 13 from downtown in the series and the game two. He was only over one. So he only put up one attempt, but he got seven attempts and I think two of them were heaves at the end of the game. So he was really about four or five or four of six. He, I, think, I think the really reason he gets, I think the reason he gets the spacing is because of the passing. Cause you have to like, if, if he fake passes it, you legitimately have to react to it. So I think he generates the space just because of the respect on the passing. And like, that's just something we're going to have to adjust to. Cause he, he dots people. So you have to be able to react to the pass. And then when you react to that, like a, a a pass opportunity, he just hits an open three. Yeah, he had fourteen dimes, but he had eight turnovers too. So Portland, yo, yo he overtime Jokic with fifty five minutes or sixty minutes played. 65, 65 minutes. He was he did not care about passes. You know, I, I mean, like when you play exercise that hard, man, you're not thinking as as clearly as you would when you when you just started. Like he was, he he threw a bunch of scaries, some dumb passes, some baited turnovers. Like he he was not the pinpoint marksman passer that he was in the any part of the game in those OTs. 
And, and remember that play when Jamal Murray lost his shoe and Jokic literally waited for him to come back? It's like uh-uh. I, I, I honestly, I, I'm rewatching the game later this afternoon. Like, okay, this so is, there was a play in one of the overtimes. I can't tell you which yeah, one. Yeah, who, who knows which overtime? They all blend together. It, the, I just know there's a Rodney Hood overtime, Dak. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> that's it. That's all I know. So there was a play where Jokic, where M- Jamal Murray lost his shoe and was like in the backcourt putting it on, and Jokic held the ball for like what seemed like eight seconds till J- and Jamal Murray never got the shoe. Like Mike Malone on the sidelines was just yelling at Jokic, like run the play, run the play, run the play. But like, it, like he just had a brain fart and waited for his point guard for like a clutch possession in the OT, and I don't think it converted for him. Like. There was just brain farts because of lack of, like, just exhaustion by Jokic. I've always thought of my top five disliked players, and, you know, four rattled right off the tongue. You know, you got Draymond, Durant, Chris Paul, and James Harden. But Jokic is solidly in that top five after this these playoffs. The dude is legitimately dirty. Like, I, I texted you, I was like, this guy's a dirty son of a bitch. Um, there's video proof of him blatantly elbowing Ennis Cantor's separated shoulder. This comes after the game where he shoved Ennis into Tory Craig. Uh, he deliberately sets moving screens in the backcourt, like full. I mean, he's extending his elbow. I have not seen a player more protected by the officials in my life. I mean, just blatant. Maybe the Bad Boy Pistons really got away with with more and in. I tend to not blame officials for for losses, um, but they've been blatantly terrible in regards to how they are officiating Jokic. I mean, yes, they're letting contact go on both ends, but what I'm calling for is is blatant. I mean, how that was not a flagrant foul when he clotheslines Damian Lillard. I mean, CJ did the same thing. He went for the ball. In game one, but he whacked the dude in the eyes. That is an obvious flagrant foul. I am completely on board. Yeah, I'm cool with that. But that, it like, should the fa- have been on Jokic too. That, like, that, that you remember the uh, New Orleans? Oh, fuck, I'm bringing old school throwback. You remember New Orleans, Portland, when Kendrick Perkins did that shit to Dame? It's the same shit. Wait, Kendrick Perkins played for New Orleans? Yeah, they did for one year. It was, Shit. it was when Alonzo G and Kendrick Perkins played major minutes for the team, and Dame drove by Kendrick, and Kendrick legitimately clotheslined him. It's uh, the same yeah, yeah. play. Yeah, it's the same play. It's legitimately the same play. And I know Kendrick got kicked the fuck out. There needed it needed to be more penalized than just a, a out of bounds play. And I I know he eventually only made one of two free throws to end that fourth overtime, but Mo Harkless did not touch him. I mean, he is spinning away. He is flopping. Like he, he's too good and too talented of a basketball player to be, to act this way. To act like Vlade. Yeah. It's disrespectful to the game. Vlade flopped, but I wouldn't say Vlade was dirty. I mean, this dude is legitimately dirty. He knows that Cantor is hurt and it's, it's, there's a fine line between, you know, maybe like nudging a bit, like he's full on extending the elbows. Like to, to me, it's, it's a disgrace to the game and the officiating needs to, he needs to get need penalized to for the dirty shit that he's, yeah, they, they need to, they, they need to keep the game in check because 
I mean, sh- shit could happen. Like, there's emotions are, are at an all time high. Um, I would say it's I the ref's st- jobs to keep like physicality's great. At some point, it's getting violent, and there's targeting of players. Yo, even in the NFL, there's penalties for targeting players that cannot defend themselves. You should not be worried about getting fucking bodied while a free throw is going up. Absolutely. Like that's not the the play has not happened yet. You're taking advantage of a situation, and like the refs need to step it up because legitimately, this the, a lot of pride is on the line, a lot of competitiveness. Physicality's fine, but that you got to keep it in the rule book, you know. Absolutely, I would say if you're a Blazer fan, you got to feel pretty good for. for for multiple reasons, but these two, I think, have been trends, one that continues and one that broke, both in Portland's favor. The first one that continued was the Blazer bench either outperforming Denver's bench or keeping it respectable. The Denver bench behind uh, a Will 18, Barton ceiling, or behind yeah. 22 from Will Barton, they had 36 points. The Blazer bench had 32, 19 from Rodney Hood, and... This is the third straight time they have basically played their counterparts to a standstill. And that is incredible considering Ennis Cantor used to be a big part of that bench, but now he has been elevated to a starter's position. Didn't Cantor have an overtime where he was transcendent? Or was that the fourth quarter or third quarter? There was a quarter where Cantor hit like nine straight points. The third, yeah, I think he had the third. He had the three. He had a jumper. I mean, dog, there, like, it's game, overtime, 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 overtime in my mind. (laughs) The other trend that broke, but broke in Portland's favor is Denver finally lost when Jamal Murray had it clicking. They are nearly unbeatable Mm. when he has a very solid performance. He had 34 points. On 14 of 32 shooting. So he was almost 50%. He had four from downtown. He started cooking in one of the overtimes mm-hmm. when he was just, you know, scoring up on cancer from like really good defense, but tough shots. He had nine boards, five assists. And usually when Murray is clicking from downtown, he's, he's you know, basically Robin to, to Jokic's mm. Batman. They're tough to beat. Portland was able to weather that storm. So those are two major trends. One continued, one broke, that if you're a Blazer fan, you have to feel very good about yourself going into game four. I just see that paint. Like, Paul Millsap's like their only real defender in the paint. I, I'm i waiting for the, the game that Dame just gets like 25 points just on layups and dunks. Because that... Once he gets past the initial double and splits that fucking double team, it's fucking the Red Seas to the hoop. I'm waiting for that game where it's just blam city, dog. Well, what's frustrating, interesting, whatever adjective you want to use to describe it. And CJ's getting to the into the paint pretty well with the floater, too. So, like, it's definitely possible. That, that, that shit's, yeah. that shit's the- free. The Blazers relied too much on the trays on the 12 of 42. So it clearly wasn't clicking. And I think we went way too ISO heavy. Yes, I I know everyone's legs are gassed and that's really all you have at that point. But 
in the OKC series, when they showed so much attention to Damon CJ, they would drive and we would have a cutter, primarily Harkless, and they would just dump it off. Um, I didn't see any action. And so I, I think the Blazers are, are fortunate to have escaped with a victory as well because it wasn't the most crisp execution. It was straight on, up ISO one-on-one. for Yeah, and, and it's like when I said it was was kind of like crazy, is Dame had those back-to-back layups in that second overtime. To That's what I'm for, talking, free. Yeah, is it something Denver did? Did Denver let their guard down because they were up four with 30 seconds to go? Did Was Dame more decisive? Again, I haven't rewatched it for those listening. I mean, we're basically 12 hours removed from the game. Um, I'll rewatch it later this afternoon. But I, I'd be interesting to see if, if Portland did any different action or Dame – because Dame didn't need a, a pick for either of those mm. moves. So maybe Dame just goes a little bit quicker, doesn't let the help come over, and doesn't even call for a pick because – I mean, we're going to need more from Dame. We're going to need more more easy bunnies. Um, yeah, uh, we we need easy baskets, man. It's hard to manufacture, but like, it's layups and dunks. It's more free throws. It's getting those Kobe assists. But let, let's get some more easy paint shots or layups or dunks. Like that. That's where I mean, relying on jump shooting is tough, man. What if what if it's even worse next game? We need to we need to drive to the paint and get some easy paint points. Doc, how have we not talked about Ennis fucking Cantor? Like he's, he is becoming, I think already an all time fan favorite. Like he is endearing himself to all of rip city. He's apparently Casey tweeted, like he separated his shoulder again in the game, obviously from, from Jokic in tears from from being in pain after the game. He tweets out a picture laying on the trainer's table. He's got his left shoulder tucked into his jersey, probably getting ready to get some sort of treatment, and he still guts out 18 and 15 on 50% shooting from the field. He had three steals, and the dude's averaging basically 20-10 this series against Nikola Jokic. Like, with a separated shoulder, playing... 56 fucking minutes like this guy is an ultimate warrior like mm. he's a gamer I, I, I had no idea like there are some players that that you know that are just tough like they are going to do whatever it takes to win and it's probably because i haven't been this close to ennis or, or followed his career on a game-by-game basis like this or maybe the opportunity simply didn't arise or present itself but i didn't know he had this in him and it's not a knock on him it's not a knock on anybody I don't know many players who would be doing what he's doing right now. And it is, it's, it's magical. Like he is, he's a goddamn beast. Yeah. Well, Ennis has really never had this opportunity. He's always had a pretty damn good center or big guy in front of him. Like in Utah, he had Gobert and Millsap and OKC. He had Steven Adams in New, New York. His last stop, Mitchell Robinson put up some transcendent ass numbers. That's why, Cantor is on our team is because Mitchell Robinson like gets well, ten blocks. Cantor's on our team because New York is one of the most poorly run franchises in all of basketball. But he's never had this real opportunity of minutes at this level. Like even like no no team has been this hurt in the bigs. So he's given this opportunity and he's taking advantage of it and shining. I mean, he's shooting sixty percent from the field, like. 20 and 10 on 60% from a, a, a big with a separated shoulder. Mm. Like 
He hit a trade. Uh, he hit a three. Yeah, with a fucked up shoulder. Like, damn, he's he's definitely earning like all like Rift City loves this dude. And yeah, this is this is why I believe he is coming back. Yeah, you don't. He's like fuck a contract, fuck my fuck my injury. Like this is for the team. Like yep. it's it's put up or shut up. And he can. It's not just like oh we're in the honeymoon phase. I, I love this organization. I love the fans. I love the team. He says it on a game by game basis. Like he feels empowered. He feels appreciated. He said he's having the best time in his basketball career, and that's about ninety percent of what happens when players come, come yeah. to Portland. I mean, that's that's just the, the the nature of it. When when you put on the red and black, and he knows he's going to get starters minutes next year as well. I know we're jumping the gun. We'll talk off season in, in, in a later podcast, but I, I really I, I felt this for a while, and it only is a stronger feeling, especially when the crowd is chanting his name, like. Just incredibly impressed by Ennis Cantor. I was really excited about the signing, just like I was with the trade for Rodney Hood. Both players have far exceeded any expectation that I had for them. I mean, just absolutely incredible. Um, This has been – so the Blazers are up 2-1, and I I, I don't want that to get lost where we're at historically. Blazers have not been leading at this point in the season – we're talking about the Western Conference semifinals since 2000. So we're talking 19 years. The last two times we made it out of the first round was in 2014 and in 2016. We never took the lead in either series. This, I mean, we are in, yes, I, I know it's only the second round, but like if you're a Blazer fan right now, just, just appreciate this. Like, like really embrace the moment because we are in rare air, especially when, Nobody gave us a chance when Nurkic went down. Nobody gave us a chance when we drew OKC. So and enjoy the moment because, as I said on the preview podcast for, for this series, it just feels different. I mean, Dame feels different, and he performed like that in the series against Oklahoma City. But now we're getting special performances from Rodney, from CJ. Ennis is gutting it out. Moe's gutting it out. Everyone just seems to have a, a little bit of a moment. Seth really has an off-shooting night, but comes in and knocks down, you know, the game-clinching free throws. Zach Collins hits a big three, you know, grabs eight and eight, like plays a, a really solid back-to-back performance. I mean, we're just getting contributions from a little bit here and a little bit there. It's weird because I see on Twitter and it like people are hating on Zach, but I thought he played really well in those minutes that he was allotted i mean i i just don't know what else people are going to expect for, from zach collins i mean he was he played, everywhere when he was playing like he played he was, 19 minutes i mean again eight and eight with assist a steal and a block like he, he filled up the stat sheet he's he's getting less than half of a game so he played 19 minutes he's active i mean olga made this assessment and i thought she was spot on that it always takes him a few plays before he settles himself down. He's like a puppy out there and he's just, he's antsy. He's running over. He's, you know, a little too excited, a little too over aggressive, or he's not aggressive enough. Like it it takes him a while to calibrate his emotions and his energy. 
But once he gets that, he's a really effective player. Now, he still needs to grab that fucking rebound because he got a couple pulled away from him. And he needs to be a little bit more aggressive when he gets the ball in the paint. But he made some plays. And I loved every single three-point attempt that he got. He was one for three, but he has to hit those shots to open up the rest of the floor. Otherwise, Denver's just going to live with Zach Mm. Collins shooting threes. You have to make them pay. So... I mean, I, I don't think Zach Collins is setting the world on fire, but you know, as a, f- a third or fourth big, he, he's doing it. He's doing his job, and I think he's played much better this series than he did last. I mean, he completely outplayed Mason Plumley mm. in, in Game Three. They could not put Plum- Plumley on the floor because yeah. Zach Collins was outworking him. It, it's just like, yo, he's in his spots. He's making plays. He's disrupting the Nuggets' offense. Like from a dude who is twenty-one years old, putting up. Like being big almost in a, a yeah, almost a double double. He was big. Like I, I hate the I. I don't want to say I hate. I don't like the fan that talks about like yeah, but it wasn't. It wasn't like a normal center. Yo, dog, this is positionless basketball. Zach Collins put in work, and I'm sorry that he isn't Shaq. He's you know, a 21-year-old boy that is putting up numbers. I'm sorry that he's not doing it the traditional way, but this t- this form of basketball isn't put it in the post and dribble it for eight seconds. We saw what happened when that shit happened. When we tried to pull it, you get blocked every single time. I I feel like Zach's just getting the the Myers amount of hate. When Myers was, you know, his age, that type, that level of hate, and I don't think it's deserved at all. I mean, you look at it from the fan perspective. Another young prospect who was drafted off of potential, Myers, the eleventh pick, Zach, the tenth pick. Um, they're just taking a while to develop. I mean, I, I, if if you're hating on on Zach Collins and that's what you're kind of focusing your energy on at this point in the season after everything that's happened, I mean. I don't really want to converse with you or be around that negative energy. It's all positive right now. We we got to continue to keep the, the good vibes going. Whatever you're doing, keep it up because this is fucking fun. I mean, yeah. I, there was just a point in, in, in time during that game where I was like, I, I can't believe we're here. Like, this is only the second round, but it's mm. still it, like it's magical. And going into game four, we're going to talk about game four right now. Sage, what, what are some... What are the X factors you're going to look at as the Blazers look to take a, which I would think would be a very commanding 3-1 lead? What do they have to do to take that 3-1 lead? <clears throat> this is straight off fields right now, but I think it's going to be a transcendent damn game in game four. It, it, um, it We just had an emotional ass game. The craziest game I've legitimately ever seen. I think it's the perfect time for Damian Lillard to show the world. I'm I can still do this shit. I had two human games. It's time for me to show that I'm inhuman and body shit. Straight off feels, I think Dame is going to take over, and it's going to be. This is going to be the game where we take Denver's soul right here. They that they're not feeling great after that loss. It's time to snatch their soul and take a commanding 3-1 lead. I think we play the same exact defense with the switching, the baiting, but I think Dame actually is hot. I think CJ 
also plays well, and Denver cannot handle it when both of our guards are on to, uh, on their game. Yeah, for me, I think this is – you have to really be careful in how you balance your emotion and your energy. Obviously, you're going to be – both teams are going to be running off of adrenaline because both teams are extremely exhausted, especially at this point in the season. You played 82 regular season games. This is Denver's 11th playoff game, Portland's 9th. Portland has the benefit of the crowd, and that mm-hmm. inherently gives you – Multiple wins, multiple Mm -hmm. boosts throughout the game. To start, Portland needs to channel that energy and not play overly aggressive. But they do need to push the tempo, push the pace a bit. I think if Portland's able to get off to a fast start within the first six or seven minutes, we have a good chance of breaking Denver's will. And I know that's really early in the game to do that. But if you jump on them 12, 13 points, just like we did against the Thunder in game one, we're able to use that momentum boost throughout the rest of the game. That's a major key for me. Another key that I want to look for is if you go back to game two, Portland did a really good job of getting Aminu and Mo Harkless involved early and often. And I thought that set them up throughout the rest of the game. I would like to see a little bit more from Chief. It just feels like we're due for him to hit a couple of big threes. He was 0 for 5 in game three, really two of nine shooting the basketball. Yes, he chipped in with four assists and 12 boards, but I think we need a couple classic chief threes, Mm -hmm. maybe a couple Mo dunks um, to get them going. Two more points, and I know there's a lot of X factors, but when you're in the playoffs, baby, there's more than just one thing that has to go right. Rebounds. I was telling Olga – Oh, first quarter, we're doing such a great job on the boards. We're up 7-8 on the boards, and, and all of a sudden, Denver just came out, and they were just just relentless. I mean, they had 24 offensive rebounds. Um, Portland ended up with 24 as well, but it just felt like that's what kept Denver in the game was the second-chance points. And the Blazers just have to do a better job on the defensive glass. I I, it, it, I think it's boxing out and legitimately every single Blazer gang rebounding. Yes. Because we don't box out. out, dog. And there's also rebounds that – so if you look at basically the, the floor, there's the first line of defense and the rebound where you got the bigs battling for position. Yeah. Well, if the ball caroms off the rim, you know – pretty recklessly it can always go past and it can land in almost that like no dead zone like when a a baseball player hits a texas leaguer just in the the, the no fly zone like it just falls there portland has to be quick our guards have to rush to the ball and and box out like that i mean you're taught at a young age doesn't matter if you're in the paint or the three-point line you box out your man to get Mm -hmm. that ball so portland needs to do that and really win that that rebounding battle and last but not least This is the game where we really need to see the Blazer bench shine. Can Rodney Hood continue his really all-world performance so far this series? He's earning millions of dollars in this this series right now. This is for another podcast, but Rodney Hood's coming back to Portland as well. Um, (laughs) Seth Curry, can we get him going? He, For whatever reason, every three he shot was just flat and short. He got some good looks. Seth is a a momentum player that really fires the crowd up. We need him to hit. Can Zach continue to play the way he is? So they, I I look for them to get more minutes. 
because I I would be very surprised if Portland was able to get away with playing Damon CJ in NS 40 minutes again. Yeah, um, yeah, they, they've played a lot. I think our bench probably needs to step up a little bit. because So uh, they're going to have to, once again, play the Denver bench even or exceed them. So th- those are my... Those are everything that I, that I feel needs to happen. The games at four, me, Olga, you, Stu. Hell yes. There. What's your prediction, Sage? Oh, we fucking beat the shit out of them. You think it's a blowout? <sighs> I don't know. Mm, it's tough because I think we beat the shit out of them emotionally. I don't know if it's going to be physically. Like, I think we snatched their soul this game. It might be a 10-point victory. It might be a 30. I think we... Definitive. We 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 soundly beat them. You know, I'm gonna go Blazers as well. I would love to see a blowout, but I really haven't. It's weird. The only blowout Portland has had has been on the road in game. No, no, we had we had a game two blowout against the Thunder, and we had a game four blowout as well. So it's been a while. I think the Blazers win. I don't know by how much, but if history tells us anything with this series, it's it's going to be another white knuckler. So so buckle up. Um, if you're at the game, be loud as shit. If you're watching, be loud as shit. If you're if you do anything, j- just send positive vibes. Like this game is, to, it's it's maybe not the series, but it, it's damn near close. And so, so Portland, they they have to they have to play de- desperate. They, they just they have to want it more simply enough. They have to want it more before we wrap up. And th- this was a fucking big deal uh, on Blazers Twitter. Do you give a shit if people wear the shirt, the free shirts that you're currently wearing right now? No, I think that's a false narrative made up by people who think it looks cool and they see other teams do it. I, I personally never wear the free shirts. I the Blazers have some of the most dopest vintage gear some of the really nice current gear as well that's what makes portland special like we don't conform to to the norms like we're, we're just who we're individuals and we love showing off our, our gear like i wear my my mitchell ness red drexler throwback like i want to show that like i don't want to wear the same shirt as everyone else yeah i take it home and you know i might wear it out or you know wear uh wear it to bed um maybe make a quilt out of it someday but it's it's not for me and i think Casey pointed out on Twitter, the Blazers are one of the only organizations that don't like shame people on the Jumbotron for not putting on their shirt. Like, yeah, it looks cool in arena, but like Blazer fans, this is what makes us unique. You give us a free shirt and we want to show off our original shirt. You know, like I've got my Eminem shirt or I've got this 1990 final shirt or I've got my Jermaine O'Neal champion, you know, jersey. Like, wear what you want. Like, who? Yeah, I'm I'm never going to like. I don't give a fuck if anyone shames me for wearing what I want. Uh, like, we're adults here. We can choose what the fuck we want to wear. It's I'm not trying to. I got a dope Dame jersey, dog. I'm not trying to wear the Rip City sponsored shirt. I don't need to. At the end of the day, we're all individuals, and we can do whatever the fuck we want. I know it looks dope on TV, but who gives a fuck? You and I aren't sitting where the TV shows us anyway. Yep. <laughs> we're in we the have- 300s, baby. It doesn't matter what we're wearing. As long as we're loud, it doesn't. It does not matter. 
Absolutely. Yeah, get out of here with that negative energy. All positive. Positivity. Good vibes only. Wrap us up, Sage. All right, so we are available on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, uh, Google Play, Dash Radio, Tuesdays, 2 our time, 5 Eastern, Himalaya Podcast, leave us a dope review, 5 star us. Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night, everybody. Let's go! Let's go!